0: Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Ted Khalil is the chair of Nordic Canada and a strong ally to females in sport. Ted's love for the outdoors started at the age of nine, attending camp Nomining in the Laurentians, with ties to the legendary Jackrabbit Johansson, who effectively introduced Nordic skiing to North America. As a father to three daughters, Ted has a passion for supporting women in sport. He served for years on the board of Fast and Female and moved over to the Nordic Canada board, where he now serves as the chair since 2021. Ted has also been participating in the Canadian Ski Marathon every year since 2018, including twice completing the Courier de Bois Bronze, which is a two-day, 160-kilometer ski. Please welcome my new friend, Ted Khalil. Ted, welcome to Let's Take This Outside.
1: Thanks for having me on. This is really exciting.
0: This is so appropriate because I'm currently wearing my merino base layer and my cross country ski pants. So there's a huge storm coming through Ottawa, and maybe in Montreal, you'll get it as well. But it's going to be about 10, I think 10 to 25 centimeters of snow. But I'm going to Knacker Talk this afternoon, right? Like right when we're done. And I'm going to go skiing, cross country skiing for the first time this season so I was I think it's really appropriate that we're having this conversation right now <laughs> yes yeah,
1: well that's great I mean Knacker talk were they're so fortunate they have the artificial snow making so they can build the knacker track before the rest of us actually see real snow and you're actually really lucky up in uh, Ottawa Gatineau area right? you've got I mean not just the park but you you've got some great clubs up there like uh, Knacker like talk and Skinook and Chelsea Nordic if they're just a phenomenal cross-country ski community in in the area you guys are really fortunate up there
0: have you been out yet
1: i've not been out on skis yet hoping that the snow is supposed to be we're supposed to be getting a foot of it here in montreal as well uh so i'm pretty psyched for the weekend and otherwise just uh, out on my nord is trying to do a bit of running or on the bike in, in the basement kind of thing so it's all good
0: This is like the most incestuous podcast because (laughs) the last interview I did was with Michael Bennett at Eurosports and they carry Norda and I've been trying to get Norda on for a while. Norda is is, uh, they make trail running shoes. Are they in Montreal? I know they're in Quebec.
1: They are out in the eastern townships, but they're both uh, Nick and Willa, who I I know from from my high school days, because English Montreal is a pretty small town. They're originally from Montreal, but uh, yeah, they're in the townships. In fact, if you take your Nordas and you flip them upside down and look at the sole, the Vibram sole they have, it's actually a topographical map of the St. Lawrence Valley. What? Yeah. Take a look. Take your shoes, okay. flip them over. It's super cool. Okay.
0: I'm going to do it afterwards. I might take a picture. That's They're probably muddy, but once I clean them I'll, <laughs> I'll be able to see it. Good. Okay. T- how you and I met, I'm putting in air quotes because we met virtually, um, is my podcast guy, producer, Matt Cundall, told me months ago that you and I should chat. Maybe he did the same for you, but we're finally doing this. And I know you and Matt, you guys are like childhood friends, right?
1: Yeah, we go back to early days of high school, grade seven, grade eight, something like that, and gone on lots of various, just call them expeditions and leave it at that.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you today. I don't think I've had this angle yet specifically on the show when it comes to this kind of leadership in the outdoor community, like being on the board for Fast and Female in Nordic Canada. But let's start with where your passion for the outdoors began. As a boy at summer camp in the Laurentians in Quebec, this camp, though, had some super cool connections. I want to hear about your experience, but also the connections to cross-country skiing.
1: Yeah. So um, when I was nine years old, my parents sent me to Camp Nominang uh, up in the Laurentians. It's a camp that's been around since 1925, so coming up on its 100 years. It's uh, you know camp for boys and if you go back a hundred years ago. That's what they did, right? There was girls' camps and boys' camps. So I was that's really where I started to really get introduced to the outdoors. Uh, it's where my love for cedar canvas canoes comes from. Uh, the camp actually builds its own cedar canvas canoes. They have molds there, and they they still to this day still make canoes. You know, put me in a cedar canvas, and yeah, that's my happy place. The founder of the camp uh, back then was a gentleman named F.M. Van Wagner, who at the time was a phys ed professor at McGill, and he really wanted to introduce young people to, uh, to the outdoors. And yeah, your, the, the neat connection um, was uh, that he was great friends with uh, Jackrabbit Johansson, uh, the legendary Jackrabbit who lived to 111 years old and, and basically introduced cross-country skiing to North America. And it was super cool. One of the things that several years back, I was reading Jack Rabbit's biography, uh, which was written by his daughter. And the very, very last page, like the last paragraph, she was kind of painting this image of her father in his later years, sitting in his living room by the fire and reminiscing of of his days in the outdoors and reciting a line from uh, Henry David Thoreau's book, Walden. And the line is, rise free from care before the dawn and seek adventure. Let the noon find thee by other lakes and the night overtake thee everywhere at home. And then she goes on to say that that line from Thoreau's book, Walden, is a line that he learned visiting his good friend, F.M. Van Wagner at Camp Nominee. Okay. I read that and I'm like, I got shivers, right? There's like my two worlds colliding, like my cross country world and my, and my canoe world. I, whoa. This all appeared on the same page, right? This is like, like watching this movie where you suddenly get the plot line all of a sudden in, in the last scene. And so that line that from, from Thoreau, that's kind of a camp's motto and every uh, camper, who ever attended that camp pretty much knows that by, by memory. I, I I think there's some people probably got to tattooed or something and certainly have it written out on their paddles and that kind of thing. And, you know, that that line, I, I think, is you know, really motivating for, for those of us who sometimes sit behind desks a little too long in our day jobs and you know, just want to get out. Whether that getting out is Gatineau Park, for those of you who are you know, in your area or just up on Mount Royal in the middle of Montreal here or heading out to the Laurentians or going down to Vermont or New Hampshire, whatever it is that we like to do. Um, you know, it's always good to, to keep that, keep that line in mind.
0: You have a day job also. You're not just a guy who likes to talk about
1: canoes. <laughs> no, in fact, yeah, my day job is sitting at a desk. So, in, you know, when I look at the people you've had on your, your podcast, right? I mean, you got PhDs in outdoor stuff. you got the guys from Exact Nutrition. You've had Ray Hab on here. Right? It's like, I'm sitting there going, why, why'd you call me? <laughs> I just sit at a desk.
0: <laughs> don't you worry. You spend enough time in the outdoors, slash, uh, making a difference that I wanted to talk. <laughs> and honestly, too, like the Ray Zahabs of the world are these incredible human beings who are so inspirational. But I think people who have day jobs are also, I don't know, relatable. <laughs> Anyways, we need both the inspiration and we need also the relatable. And you have a family, you have three daughters. Uh, We're going to talk about that too and how this all kind of ties in. But I also wanted to ask, canoeing really big for you, what else do you love spending time doing outdoors?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I grew up in a hockey family and the outdoors, again, came to me you know, indirectly, you know, when I was really young, my dad would take us out, you know, perch fishing on the St. Lawrence River. He he grew up in Cornwall, Ontario, uh, but then going to Namanang, learning canoe tripping and canoeing and stuff and, and all the other outdoor activities we did there. Then when I was at, at university, I went to Queens, uh, actually did my undergrad in geography. Uh, I joined the outdoors club when I was there and we did stuff. We did rock climbing. We did uh, winter camping. We did canoeing, whitewater canoeing. Um, we were kayaking in at the university swimming pool in the middle of winter i mean you name it so the outdoors just kind of started coming from everywhere and then after university i was spending a lot of time in vermont with little old, old high school buddies that we would meet up on weekends it's just a pretty short drive from montreal for for a weekend and we were i mean we started doing our own cross-country ski races that were kind of a bit of a poker derby slash <laughs> um, I won't get into the details, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, know, it may have involved some Jägermeister, <laughs> but you know, that that's off the record, right? You won't repeat that. This
0: is definitely not being recorded or no, anything. this is that's not being fine. recorded.
1: And yeah, so, you know, the, the love of the outdoors was just kind of a whole life thing. I can't really point to any one specific, like this was the light bulb moment. It just was gradually there and just kept growing. And then as I said, you know, I, I grew up with hockey and ended up, in the early mid 90s, I was asked by a friend, uh, she was an old grade school friend, and she was, she'd started playing hockey in the local municipal women's league, and they needed a coach. And she called me up and said, Can you come coach our hockey team, our women's hockey team? And i was sure, absolutely. And I was coaching it. And that's what probably, you know, really woke me up to the challenges that women's sports had in, in today's world. Cause I was coaching, I'd go to coaching certification clinics. And the other guys, and it's very much an old boys club, would look and say, oh, you're coaching women. So is that ring yet? I'm like, no, it's hockey. Like, really? Like, this was before women were actually at the Olympics too, right? I mean, now Mary Philippe Poulain, Haley Wickenheiser, like they're all legends in Canada. But at this time, nobody really knew much about women's hockey. So it opened my eyes pretty quickly to the challenges that women's sport had. And then, as you said, then, you know, then, then later on, I got married and had three daughters and. So, I live with four women. I'm a very proud feminist. <laughs> and, it, you know, started I, one day, ended up having a conversation with Mary Ellen Thibault. And Mary Ellen, everyone calls her MNH. When she was at school in the United States, nobody could pronounce Mary Ellen. So, they called her MH. And she and I ended up having a conversation. MH was at the time the executive director of Fast and Female, uh, working closely with Chandra Crawford. It was Chandra who founded it. But Chandra was racing World Cups at the time. So she was in Europe most of the winter, uh, cross-country skiing. Chandra, of course, had won uh, gold in the sprint at the Olympics in Torino. And you know after that, Fast and Female really took off. And it was all about finding ways to help keep girls in sport. Uh, because we, we know the statistics show teenage girls are at like six times the risk. I forget the exact stat, But something like six times the risk of dropping out of sport as teenagers com- as compared to boys.
0: Just very quick interjection, Molly Herford, who is on this podcast, she's a cyclist and and writes a lot. Uh, She's incredible. But she has a stat that's it it was something on the lines of both boys and girls start out cycling. And then it was like, a ridiculous amount of women dropped off when they turned like teenage years. So clearly it's in, it's in every sport. Sorry, continue on the, on the Yeah.
1: And, and we could spend three hours on this podcast <laughs> talking about that one subject and, <laughs> and then turn it into a week, you know, probably a university lecture course on it. But you know, in a nutshell, one of the things that's really obvious is that you turn on the mass media or you open up in, well, back then we actually had print newspapers still, right? You open up the paper and the front page of the sports section was all men's sports, right? It's, it's everywhere. Whereas women's sports, you know, maybe you'd see it at the Olympics, you know, perhaps you get a tennis player or something, but the role models for boys were really obvious. They're there in the mass media all the time. The role models for girls in terms of female sports are phenomenal. Like They're fantastic role models, but they're just not obvious in the mass media. And so Fast and Female in its early days was about bringing those role models to girls and showing them that it's possible, not only possible, but that most of these phenomenal female athletes are actually fantastic students they did really really well at school and so are real role models for life not just for sport and so I started working with with MNH a little bit fast female just kind of helping them on a couple little things and then one day they asked me to join the board uh, I ended up being on the board for eight years uh, served four years as board chair and then because I was working with Chandra who was the founder and she was on the board and then her good friend, Keegan Randall, who's on the U.S. Uh, Olympic ski team, the U.S. national team, uh, and went on to win gold herself in the team sprint along with Jesse Diggins. I was seeing how the U.S. women's program was starting to get more support and doing really well. And the Canadians women's program had some gaps in it that just were basically funding gaps in, in, in the, the challenges that all amateur sport has in Canada with funding. And. Fast and Female was working very closely with what was then called Cross-Country Canada, uh, today Nordic Canada. Uh, We were a very close partnership. And so I ended up starting to work on some projects trying to help out the the, the Canadian National Women's Team, Um, which one thing led to another. And uh, somebody suggested, hey, you should run for the board at Cross-Country Canada. And my term at Fast and Female was kind of running out. And so I said, okay, let's look at that. And that was 2018. And today I'm about a year and a half into being chair of the board at at Nordic Long story short, that's how I ended up here.
0: (laughs) There are so many angles that we can take right now and so many questions I have. Um, I I first of all want to know what does fast and female look like today? And if someone's listening and they have a daughter or they are interested in this, um, what do you know about Fast and Female and what it looks like in 20, well, it's 2022 right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I'm so proud of the organization, right? It's, you know, you, you kind of step away and it's like, you know, watching your teenager grow into an adult, right? It's, it really has evolved from when I was there and it's really grown up. It's become such a professional organization now. It's really building out to be more about presenting what they call real role models. So it doesn't have to be an Olympian because sometimes looking up to an Olympian can be intimidating. Well, what if I'm not an Olympian, right? Or what if I don't have the skills to be an Olympian? And the idea was to show that there are real role models out there in, in every facet of life, and it's, it's about how do you find them and how do you find the mentors that can help you. It's become a much more inclusive, you know, term female. You know, in today's world, we know that uh, you know people have different uh, ways that they identify, so they, they want to be very open to that as well and very inclusive. Uh, so the, the the organizations really uh, evolved a lot, and then I look around and I see other organizations that have been inspired by that or, or grew up in parallel. Uh, you know, two of our Olympic skiers here in Quebec, you know, Sandrine Brown and Laura Leclerc, they started up Uh Same thing, right? They want to be on the ground working with young female skiers, keeping them in the sport. You know, it's just great. There, there's so many great organizations like this that, that are doing the on the ground grassroots stuff, uh, just trying to inspire girls to to stay in sport, stay in school. And we know that if if sport's going well, school tends to go better as well. So it's it's a really important thing.
0: If there is anything that uh, I know I can attest to and a lot of female athletes I know, um, there's a lot of pressure to perform not only just in school, but also, well, now as an adult in, in work and also in sport and athletes that I know, but like women are not overachievers, but like, there's a lot of pressure to be good at every single thing that
1: we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I don't want to sit here and, and try to be the expert on women's psychology. <laughs> of
0: course, it's more from like a fatherly perspective and also what you've seen within Fast and Female and, and Nordic Canada. So
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, yeah, being a father and sitting down with my daughters, when you see the pressure of exams coming up, but there's practices for basketball team or volleyball team or, you know, whatever sport happens to be going on right now, as in any facet of life, right? It's it's learning how to prioritize, uh, learning how to manage stress. And, you know, what we can do as parents is just, just, you know, try to help them with frameworks but it's also managing the stress, right? I see some parents and I I don't want to sit here and judge, but you know, some parents, I I see the way they are on the sidelines of sports. And I kind of shake my head and think, could you actually want your daughter to quit? Because you keep saying that she's going to quit. Whereas, you know, I was taught long ago, the, you know, the best thing you can say is, is actually the honest thing, which is, I just love watching you play. Right. And, you know, if you're out there and you're having fun, you know, whether you're the star that's, you know, scoring all the goals or hitting all the three pointers or, you know, whatever the, the sport is um, or winning the races or you're just out there just, you know, trying hard and supporting your teammates and, and having fun. Right. And, and that's that's the key is that, you know, Sport Canada has the long term athlete development matrix, which anyone who's been involved in coaching will know what it looks like. And if, if you can picture a grid, it's this big, giant rectangle that has all the stages of development in, as young kids. But then, when you get to that kind of competitive age, uh, which is late teens, or early twenties, depending on the sport, it branches off into this kind of pyramid with sharp, pointy top, which is the you know kind of that world champion or Olympian kind of athlete. But the biggest piece of that matrix that everyone kind of forgets about is what they call active for life, and that's the biggest part, right? Is that one percent of the kids who are doing you know recreational hockey or competitive hockey or competitive soccer or competitive cross country skiing or whatever the sport is, 1% are going to a national team level. Uh, And then an even smaller percentage of that uh, is, you know, podium potential. The 99%, the goal is is get them staying in sport for life. Because, I mean, you look at the emergency rooms in our hospitals today, it doesn't matter what province you're in, there's a lineup to get in. And if we can find ways to make a healthier society by keeping people out of the healthcare system, Uh, that's a huge investment as a country we should be making. And so at Nordic Canada, right, our slogan is all Canadians on skis, more athletes on podiums. And so it really is a dual mandate. And we could talk about what we mean by all Canadians on skis. Uh, That's, again, another hour-long call. But, you know, if we can get just more people out there skiing, that, of course, is going to drive us having a greater athlete pool to find potential podium athletes in. But more importantly, it's also just going to lead to a healthier society.
0: I can only speak for myself and also some people that I've also on the podcast, <laughs> but I think it's about, I want to hear your opinion on this too. I think like the, the sport for life is finding those sports and those things and those, and the community is such a huge aspect of it too. Things that you just feel absolutely right doing, things that you absolutely love doing that maybe you don't feel pressure to do that you're like, I can't wait to ski this afternoon because I can't wait to get fresh air with my very good friend. I'm not going to perform. It's my first time on skis. I'm just going to go get my balance back and get my, my legs back. But I just am obsessed with it because I get to go and play in the winter, all winter long. Like that is why I love it so much.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what's that line? You, you keep it's a meme that keeps popping up on social media. You know, the you need to find joy in the snow because if you don't find joy in the snow, you'll have less joy, but it's the same amount of snow. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. Yeah, you share it if you see uh, Yeah, I, I
1: wish I knew who came up with that line so I could give it credit. But like there's a gym downstairs in my office building, right? One of the big mass market uh, you know chains. And I have a membership gosh, I really don't go unless I'm training for an event, you know, a big ski race coming up or something, because just going to the gym for the sake of going to the gym just isn't motivating. But when I know that, you know, my buddies are waiting at 6am on the bikes for a bike ride in the summer, you get up and you go. And the first 10 minutes are brutal. But by the time you're 20 minutes into the ride, everyone's having a great time, right? And you're like, why did we not do this every day? And the same thing with the snow, right? The first five or 10 minutes, you're complaining about your wax or something, and you're kind of cold. But you know, 15 minutes into it, it's, you know, you get going, the endorphins start going, the fresh air is moving. And, you know, a sport like cross country, you talk about active for life. It is a sport you can do for your whole life, right? You go out at the local park, or you're at the Canadian ski marathon or any, any part of, of the sport. And you're going to see, you know, the young jackrabbits who are little kids, And it could well be their 70 plus year old grandparents are out there with them and they're skiing. And believe me, I've been in races where I've literally been beaten in a race by somebody in their seventies, like easily. Right. And I still play hockey. I'm in my fifties. I still play hockey. And there's a lot of my friends who look and go, yeah, I can't do it anymore because of injuries. And there are a lot of sports that are harder to do your whole life, right? Because they're, I mean, it's tough to play tackle football your whole life. You know, you can't play rugby your whole life. But, you know, there are sports, be it golf or tennis or cross-country skiing or cycling, that you see people that are, you know, well into the grandparent years and and actually some cases even just starting to take it up, right? And certainly through COVID, the number of times during that two years or the first two years of COVID that I got a text message from an old hockey buddy do you have any skis in your garage you're trying to get rid of, right? Or where do I find skis? How do I get in? Can you teach me how to wax my skis? Because people discovered we were naturally socially distanced and wore face coverings anyways, because you know, that's what you do in the cold. Um, but, you know, people were discovering that, hey, this isn't, you know, when I was a kid, people thought of cross-country skiing is you, you kind of went out in a lot of wool and you hugged a tree and, and ate some granola and, and froze, right? But, that's what I do. It's a sport that has every something for everybody, right? You can go out and do that, right? If that's what you want to do is just pack some hot chocolate and ski around you know, the cottage for 10 minutes, great. Go do that. If you want to put on the Lycra and go race a 50-kilometer Gatineau Loppet, like go do it. If you want to just tour the Gatineau Loppet and pack a picnic with you, you can do that too, right? And if you want to go enter a provincial cup race, like literally against Olympians, Hey, you're allowed to enter that and just, they put you at the back of the pack so you don't block anybody, but you can actually literally go into a race with, you know, with national team athletes, if that's what you want to do. You can't go jump on the ice with NHL hockey players. <laughs> so it's, it's a very welcoming sport. You know, there's a lot of sports. you got to find that sport that you're going to be passionate about and love, but they're, they're out there. And uh, yeah, whether it's just de-stressing from the office at the end of the day, uh, as I said, you know, sit at a desk a lot. And being able to stop on Mount Royal on my way home, having this beautiful park where you get out there and you forget you're in the middle of a major city, is a pretty cool thing. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokémon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company.
0: you let's take this outside.ca and hit the store button to wrap your favorite podcast. Thank you so much for supporting. I'm actually going to do a whole episode on the Canadian ski marathon. However, you've been doing the CSM every year since you said 2007 or 2008. Can you quickly describe the basics of what it is and the structure of bronze, silver, and gold, because this is one of the and this is why I'm doing a whole episode with Real Perriard, is that it's one of the most hardcore sporting events (laughs) in Canada. I don't know if you agree or not. I think it is, but I would love to know a little bit more.
1: It absolutely can be, but I want your listeners out there who are not into the hardcore to say, wait, stop. It actually, there's something for everybody in this event.
0: Absolutely, there is yes. something yes. for everyone.
1: You don't have to be a hardcore skier to do this event. So they have a, a few different categories. There's what we call tours. Uh, there's the half marathon, and then there's the cour de bois, and the cour de bois is, is the hardcore you're talking. That's
0: about. the hardcore. Thank you. That's
1: that. the hardcore thing. And so the Canadian Ski Marathon is two days, uh, sometime early, typically early February, and the traditional route would be from La Chute stopping overnight in Montebello and then continuing on to Gatineau. And in recent years, they actually added a third leg to kind of mix it up a little bit where it's been from Tremblant to Montebello and then Montebello to Gatineau or or Montebello to Lachute. So they mix up the routes each year uh, to keep a, a little bit of variety. And what you can do is as a tourer, you can say, I want to sign up to just do a little part of it. You don't have to do the whole thing. And a little part of it is each day is broken up into five sections. So you can find one section that's maybe 12 kilometers or 10 kilometers or something. So I'm just doing that. And your challenge might be, I've never skied 10 kilometers in my life. And I want to train all winter to be able to ski 10 kilometers. And for a lot of people, like that's, that's a lifetime achievement. And that's awesome. And you go out and you do it at your pace and you pack a backpack with a picnic and, and off you go. But at the other extreme, and I'm going to use that term extreme very uh, advisedly, he's doing what we call the cour de bois. And that's you're trying to ski the whole distance. And so there you're starting at six in the morning and six in the morning in February in Canada means, you know, with a headlamp on because it's dark.
0: And freezing, probably. And
1: freezing, probably. Yeah. And you're trying to ski the entire distance of that Chute to, to, to Gatineau or Trombleau to Gatineau. How far is that? 160 kilometers over two days. So you've got 80 kilometers per day and there's time checks, right? So you got to start the last of the five sections each day by three 30, I believe it is so three 15, three 30 in the afternoon. So for some of us, that's a pace, we got to almost be racing for 65 kilometers to make that time check. So you can do, you, they let you ski the last 15 each day. So it's extreme in that for a lot of us, it's, it's the psychological extreme, right? It, like you always say, if you, if you're, able to train to the point where you can actually ski 40 or 50 kilometers in training, then you can ski 160 kilometers. Physically, you're able to do it. Uh, the question is, can you pace yourself? Can you get the, the hydration, the food, the clothing, the pacing, but the mental part of it? Because there's so many parts of it that anywhere after 40K, doesn't matter who you are, it, it's going to start to hurt. And your brain's going to look at the, that school bus they have at each of the checkpoints. And think, you know what, I could get on that bus and go to the shadow Montebello and sip out a fire and have a Bailey's and espresso instead, or I can keep skiing, finish today's 80k, and then go do it again tomorrow. And there's a lot of times where your brain's going, why am I doing this? And every time I've been involved in any distance race, including Gatineau Lopit, you know, shorter stuff, you know, 50 Ks, whatever is at some point in that event, I swear to myself, I will never, ever do another event longer than five kilometers again. (laughs) <laughs> right, like it's it's guaranteed, right? Like I'm never doing this again. And I cross the finish line, and my wife Stephanie says, "How did it go?" And I go, J- "Just make sure I don't sign up for this event again." All right? But the unofficial motto of the Canadian Ski Marathon of anyone who's done the Cour de bois is never again until next year.
0: Dot dot dot. Yeah,
1: yeah. Dot dot dot. Yeah.
0: So bronze, silver, and gold get more hardcore as you go, right?
1: Right. So. For those who decide they want to do the de which is attempting the full 160 kilometers over two days, you start with what's called bronze. And bronze is just trying to ski the whole distance over the two days. And you can go after the each day is done, You know, the Saturday night, you can either, you know, go to the dormitory at one of the local high schools and sleep on the gym floor if you want, or you can find a nice, you know, B&B or check into the Shadow Montebello and and be at a five-star hotel and go to the all-you-can-eat buffet. Whatever you want to do in between, that's your business.
0: That would be the most hardcore I would go on this. Continue. Sorry.
1: Then if you achieve bronze, then you're allowed in the future years to try silver, which is repeating the same distance, but carrying a five kilogram backpack. Doesn't matter what's in the pack. I've heard all kinds of stories. People just shove sandbags in. Some people pack full-on first aid kits, a change of clothes, they you know, a pair of boots they'll change. Others have brought you know the full works of William Shakespeare, whatever motivates you. Throw it in your pack and just ski. You got to just be able to do the whole distance with without weight. If you achieve silver, then you're allowed to try gold. And for the record, I've done bronze twice, I've failed at silver twice. Okay, just to, to keep things in perspective. If you achieve silver, you're then allowed to attempt gold. Gold is, again, skiing the whole distance. But this time, what you have in your backpack is what you need for the overnight on Saturday because you're sleeping outside. And you've got to camp out outside. They have something called Gold Camp. And I've skied by it when I've done my bronze or what have you. And it looks like something out of like Braveheart, right? It's it's all these guys who've been skiing for 80 kilometers. And you can imagine how tired you are after that and what you kind of look like. And they're sitting on hay bales around... It's just a, a field of campfires trying to change into something dry, trying to eat enough food so they can actually sleep and get rested and get fueled up so they can get up and ski another 80 tomorrow. And it's just this big cloud of smoke and all these really haggard looking people. And then the next day they get up and they do it. And they just trudge along and some of them ski it really fast and others just barely make the cutoff. But it's super motivating. But at the same time, on the same trail, you have the people doing the tours who are out there just trying to do one section a day. And you'll see little kids, you know, out there with their with their grandparents because their parents may be doing the cour de Bois or something, right? It's a whole family event. You get three or four generations doing it together. You'll have, you know, retired Olympians who are out there doing it. You'll have young kids who are on the race teams but took a week off of racing so they could come do the marathon. So you get the full gamut. It's, it's the full Canadian Skiing Society. So when you say it's extreme, it is if you're at one end of it. But you can also choose to just be very recreational about it, too. So it's there's something there for everybody, for sure.
0: That makes me really excited to do the whole a whole episode on it. So I have one more question specifically about the women's side of sport. I just wanted to know what challenges do you see on the women's side of sport and how have you seen it progress, especially in the last the last few years? And what do you think are still the big challenges ahead?
1: You know, I, I think the biggest challenge is, and it depends on the sport, uh, some sports are, are at different stages of it than others. You know, a lot of it is getting enough uh, women coaches into the sports. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see that growth coming. And a, a lot of that, what we're seeing in skiing, a, a lot of where we're going to find the best coaches is those competitive athletes who are competitive in their teens, and they maybe get to... 14, 15, 16 years old and decide they don't want to race anymore at a high level. The time demands of it are getting bigger or perhaps they have a different sport that they're more competitive in and don't have the time to be a competitive ski racer. But their skills are fantastic and they want to stay involved in the sport somehow. And they're actually turning out to be some of the best coaches we can have for our young jackrabbits, right? The jackrabbits, if you think of like Timbits in hockey, right it's the little kids, obviously named after Herman Jackrabbit Johansson. And that's our ski school, our our ski development program that all of the clubs, go to nordiccanada.ca and find a club near you and sign up for it, get your kids in it, is, sorry, I had to get the plug in. (laughs) No, no, you got to get the plug in. You (laughs) got to get the plug in. in. You know, a lot of these these young athletes who don't want to race anymore, they have fantastic skills. They They have the right technique. And they relate to the young kids better than us volunteer parents who are showing up because, You know, my daughters who don't ski race anymore, but they did until they were, you know, kind of 14, 15, their technique is far better than mine. And for a young girl or even a young boy who's, you know, six, seven, eight years old to look up to some 40 or 50 year old parent trying to show technique or looking up to a 16, 17 year old who's showing technique is a very different world of motivation. And the technique's much better. And so if we can find these young athletes who maybe don't want to race anymore, but keep them active for life in a coaching role, that's where we're going to find our future coaches who can then work up to, you know, provincial level coaching, uh, high performance level coaching, and eventually get to our top level coaching. Uh, You know, at Nordic Canada, if I look at our, the top of our high performance pyramid within the organization is what we call our high performance director. And all the coaches and everybody, all, you know, in theory work underneath the high performance director. And we actually have two high performance directors, one for what we call the Olympic stream and what we call one for the, the Paralympic stream. And, uh, you know, Kate Boyd, who's from the Gatineau region originally, lives out in Canmore, she's our high performance director of the Paralympic stream. And uh, the our Paralympic, our paranordic program at Nordic Canada uh, has, I can't remember the exact stats, so don't quote me, but something like half of Canada's medals at the Winter Paralympics are from our Nordic skiers. Incredible. And we're really proud of our Paranordic program. And and that's headed up by Kate, who worked her way up through the system. You know, so the more we can we can look at at people like Kate as role models for our young coaches saying, hey, there's there's a role for you, even if you don't want to continue on as a high performance athlete in whatever that sport is, there's a role for you in in sports journalism. There's a role for you podcasting. There's a role for you in high level management of teams. You know, my local hockey team, the Montreal Canadiens, you know, more and more ownership has brought in uh, women into senior management roles in the team they're bringing in women consultants out of the team of sports psychologists and stuff there's so many roles for, for for young women to find in sport even if it's not in you know trying to become an olympian
0: and having of course a wife and three daughters i'm assuming you all play outside together as well and and yeah. what does that look like for for you and your family and to see your daughters also enjoy the outdoors as much as you do
1: yeah, no, it's it's fun, right? Whether it's downhill skiing, which in being my Nordic Canada side, I call it chairlift skiing, um, which kinda makes my daughters kinda roll at me. <laughs> Because <laughs> I call it, there's there's real skiing and then there's chairlift skiing. Because, you know, as we say, uh, real skiers ski uphill. But <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't mind riding the chairlift once in a while as well. So whatever the snow conditions are, you know, we look out the window and say, are we doing downhill? Are we alpine touring today? Are we cross-country? Are we doing cross-country skate? Are we doing cross-country classic? You know, whatever snow conditions are, let's go. You know, so as a family, that's it's great. We love skiing together as a family, regardless of which discipline we choose skating, you know, pond skating, right? If we're out in the country and there, there's outdoor ice to skate on, we'll do that, you know, just outside on the driveway playing one-on-one basketball in the summer or whatever it is. And then, you know, canoes anytime we're near water, my girls have now kicked me out of the stern seat. I have to sit on the, the bottom of the canoe because they want control of the canoe now. And, or they just say, we're taking our own canoe now to get out of the way. We love going down to Maine in the summer sometimes, uh, every summer on, on vacation. And, the house that we rent for a week is, is on a bay. And the other side of the bay is this pier where the lobster fishermen come in and we'll call or, you know, my my dad will come with us, you know, bring the grandparents. and My dad will place the order for, for lobster at a certain hour and say, you know, my, my son and my granddaughters are coming to pick it up. We'll jump in the canoe and paddle across the bay just to go do uh, drive-through lobster pickup, right? So it's... Uh... <laughs> You know, any excuse to get in a canoe or or get in a sailboat, you know, my daughter, one of my daughters, uh, Alexa asked me to go sailing with her. I'm like, I'm not really that good in a sailboat. Like, I know windsurfing. I don't really know sailboats. And she just looks, don't worry, I do. I'm like, okay, let's go, right? And that's great. You know, when the kids look at me and say, no, I'm paddling a canoe or no, I'm sailing. Yeah, my job's done here. <laughs>
0: Ted, thank you so much for your inspiration and thank you for being an ally when it comes to female in sport and sharing your side of it. And yeah, and thank you for promoting Fast and Female as well as Nordic Canada. That's great. I think a lot of listeners will be be stoked by that.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, Loving the podcast. I listen to it quite regularly. So it's Matt who put me onto it. So, uh, you know, something else that we could positively blame on that. But this is good. Thanks for having me on.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to let's take this Outside.ca.
1: You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me host Mike C as we explore all areas of human wellness